Chapter 6 of The Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins, Volume 2, by Robert Paltick. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6 Sleeping longer than usual, I was awakened next morning by a gripsack from Quangalert, upon hearing of which I roused immediately, thinking they were at my door, but the messenger told me they could not be there in what I understood by his signs to be about two hours, for they have no such measure for time as ours. So I dressed at leisure and then went to Uworki and waked her. Uwe, says I, your brother will be here presently, and I have a mind you should appear as my countrywoman would have you dress yourself." We walked down to the level, and but just saved our distance, for the van of them were within the Arco before we arrived, and with such a train after them as seemed to reach the whole length of the Arco. The regularity and order of their flight was admirable, and the break of the trumpets was so great, sounding all the way they came, for we had not only one set of them, but at least thirty, there being so many colams and pretty princes in the train, each with fifty attendants, that I wondered how they could bear it. As the principals alighted, which was at least a hundred paces from me, the gripsacks still kept wing, sounding as long as we stayed. This was a very tedious ceremony, for the guards alighting with their colams ranged just as Pendlehambies had done, but reached as far as the eye could see. As they moved toward us, Uworki and I, having stood still some time, moved slowly forward to meet them. It would have surprised you to have seen the deference they paid us, and I believe the guards took us for something above the mortal race. Yorki showed no part of her grundee, having on sleeves down to her wrists, white silk stockings, and red-heeled shoes, so that none of them knew her for one of them. The first that we met was my brother, to whom we had only an opportunity of paying our compliments and passant before another grundee came up, who was succeeded by another and another, to the number of thirty, some out of respect to my father and brother, and some out of mere curiosity to see me, and as fast as each had paid his salutes, he passed us, till we found we had no more to meet when we turned about and fell in with the company. When we came to the grotto, I was very much put to it for room, we scarce being able to stand upright by each other, much less to sit down, which my father perceiving, my dear friends, says he, had my son known in time of so much good company, he would have been better provided with seats for us all. But considering all we see is the labor only of his own hands, we should rather admire at the many conveniences we see here than be uneasy there are no more. And, son, says he, as we are now so large a body, I propose we adjourn to the officers' quarters and let them take ours. I returned my father's thanks for the hint and led the way, the rest following, where we found room enough and to spare. Though you worky was with us all dinner time helping the guests, we had no sooner done. But, says Quangleart aloud, Brother Peter, are we not to see my sister? I, not hearing perfectly what he said, though I perceived he spoke to me, Sir, says I, my sister, you worky, says he, why won't she appear? 
Here are several of her good friends, as well as myself, will be glad to see her. My father then laughed so heartily that, the rest taking notice of it, my poor brother was put to the blush. Son, says my father, don't you know your own sister? We have not seen her yet, says one of the colams, or any lady but your daughter, Hallie Carney, and that attendant. My brother, then seeing how it was, came up to salute my wife, but even then had his scruples till he saw her smile and then begged pardon for his oversight, as did all the colams upon saluting her. My brother declared that, as she was somewhat behind me on the level, he had only paid her the respect of his chin, taking her for someone attending me. The colam, following my brother, assured her the little regard shown her by Quangleart, who, he thought, should know best where to bestow his respects, was the reason of his taking no more notice of her, and each confessing his mistake arose from too nearly copying the steps of his immediate predecessor. They all made excuse, and the mistake made us very merry, till they proposed taking a turn in the woods, it being a great novelty to them, they said. But I begged they would leave me behind to prepare for their return." Having refreshed themselves after they came home, Quangleart, being put upon it by some of the colams, told me I could not render a more acceptable favor to the whole company than to relate to them an account of my adventures. For though, says he, I told them last night what I remembered to have heard from you, yet the variety was so great I could not deliver the facts in order as I heard them, but was obliged to take here a piece and there another, as they occurred to me, making rather several stories of it than a continued series of facts." All the colams immediately seconded the motion and desired me to begin. I then ordered a clear table and a bowl of punch, and having drank all the company's healths, began my narration, hoping to have finished it before bedtime. But they, pressing me to be very particular, and frequently one or another requiring explanations upon particular facts, and then one making a remark upon something which another answered, and a third replied to, they got the talk out of my hands so long that, having lost themselves in the argument and forgot what I said last, they begged my pardon and desired me to go on." when one who in contemplation of one fact had lost best part of another prayed me to go on from such an incident and another from one before that so that i was frequently obliged to begin halfway back again this method not only spun out my story to a very great length, but instead of it being finished that evening, as I proposed, it was scarce well begun before bedtime drew on. So I just, having brought them to Angola, told them, as it grew late, if they pleased, I would finish the remainder next night, which they agreed to. Quangleart then asked my father if he had been fishing since he came, but he told him he knew not what he meant. Then all the company desired I would show them what that was. I told them they might command me as they pleased, so we appointed the next morning for that exercise. But gentlemen, says I, your lodging tonight gives me the greatest pain, for I know not what I shall do about that. 
I have a few beast fish skins, which are very soft and hairy, but not a sufficiency for so many friends as I would at present be proud to oblige. But I can lay them as far as they will go upon as much dry reeds and grass as you please. I then sent a servant to Yorkey for the skins, after which they one and all crying out, if they had but good dry reeds, they desired no better lodging. I dispatched hands to bring away a large parcel of them to the tent, which they did in a thrice. Then, waiting on those few who lay at the grotto to their quarters, and having sent Yorkie to her sister, I returned to the tent to take up my own lodging with those I had left there. I had not yet entered the tent when I heard a perfect tumult within, everyone talking, everyone talking so loud and altogether that I verily thought they had fallen out and were going to handicuffs. However, I resolved to go in amongst them and try to compose their difference. When, just entering, and they spying me, several ran to me, each with a skin in his hand, the rest following as fast as they could. Gentlemen, says I, I hoped to have found you all at rest. So we should have been, says one of them, but for these what you call them's. It is my unspeakable misfortune, says I, that I have no more at your service, and am sorry that I should cause them to be brought, since each of you cannot have one. Says one of them, I don't want one. I have seen enough of it. Then, gentlemen, says I, it is possible there may be so many more of that colam's mind that there may be sufficient for those who desire them. They neither knew what to make of me, nor I of them, all this while, till an old colam, perceiving our mistake, Mr. Peter, says he, we have only had a dispute. I am sorry at my heart for it, says I, but I perceived you were very warm before I entered, and am in great hopes of compromising matters to all your satisfactions. I was going, says the same Colam, to tell you we had a dispute about what these things were, nothing else. I was then struck on a heap, being quite ashamed they should think I suspected they had been quarreling for the skins, and how to come off I knew not. You'll excuse me, sir, says I, for expressing a concern that you could not each have one to examine into at the same time, that one of you need not have waited to make your remarks till the other had done. No occasion, no occasion for that, Mr. Peter, said they all together. We shall have leisure enough to examine them tomorrow, but we want to know what they are and where they grow. Gentlemen, says I, each of these is the clothing of a particular fish. And where do they grow, said they? In the lake, says I. They are a living creature who inhabit that great water. I often catch them when I am fishing. The same exercise we shall go upon tomorrow. I had much ado to persuade them that they did not grow on trees, which I was then much more surprised at than some time after that I returned their visit. But having satisfied them and given them some possible hopes they might see one alive next day, they were very well contented, and we all lay down to rest. End of chapter 6